Alrighty, so most of these questions just have to do with um, your work. They're pretty simple. Um, I only have five, so it shouldn't take too long. Uh, I, I do simple, uh, actually. <laughs> All right. So the first one is, um, what kinds of professional materials do you read? Oh, this is the Sarah Palin question. Um, <laughs> I can't see Alaska from my house, uh, <laughs> unless there's a really mirrored set of cumulus clouds. So uh, which professional materials do I read um, for my show? Yeah, or just well, for uh, fun. <laughs> I grit my teeth and read the New York Times. Uh, mm -hmm. I grit my teeth. Particularly, uh, I'm very interested in contemporary justifications or, or rather obfuscations of monetary policy. Uh -huh. So uh, I will read the sort of mainstream economic arguments to find out whether people are actually talking about uh, currency and, and the Fed and uh, all of that sort of stuff. Uh -huh. So I do grit my teeth and do that. Uh, I also check out the uh, Huffington Post online. I think they have a pretty good... Uh, a pretty well-rounded view of culture, which is not to say, of course, everything or anything that I approve of, but mm -hmm. they do have uh, very interesting articles that I think give a sense of the mood and also give a sense of what's not, uh, what's not being talked about. Uh, I subscribe to a Canadian magazine called Maclean's, and um, and for fun I read um, hardcore <laughs> computer magazines. So <laughs> I hope that. Okay. Oh, and I also get um, uh, the Economics Institute has a daily. Um, uh, is it daily or weekly uh, email message that comes out? Uh, you can also get these kinds of things uh, from Mises.ca or Mises.com as well. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I'm a big, uh, monstrous, huge audiobook fan. Uh, and I have been, um, I guess I'm in my 11th year of my <laughs> account at audible.com, which I highly recommend. And uh, so I really, really like uh, audiobooks. I can listen to them while I'm dozing off. I can listen to mm -hmm. them while I'm exercising. I can listen to them from in a variety of places. I find it very hard to sit down and, uh, especially as a stay-at-home dad, to find the time to sort of read from top to bottom uh, a book, although I'm getting a bit more into ebooks now, but uh, you can listen to audiobooks car anywhere. So I'm a big fan of those, with the minor problem that you can't make very good notes. <laughs> while <they're, laughs> Oh, that's a great point. I should reference yeah. that. But uh, those, those are the major sources of information. And of course, oh, let me last but not least, certainly not least, uh, the Free Domain Radio Message Board has a variety mm -hmm. of very prolific pl uh, <laughs> posters who scour the internet for the true uh, gems among the sand and post them there. And I've based a, an, a, number, a large number of shows uh, from, uh, from those. I'm also a big fan of Casey Research, uh, caseyresearch.com. They've got very good uh, economic stuff. And the Dollar Vigilante as well also I think has very good economic stuff. So, yep, it's just it's a wide variety of sources. Cool, thanks. Uh, second question is, how much writing do you do, and what kind, like fiction, nonfiction, opinion, stuff like that? I wrote a lot of books. I've written a lot of books in my life, mm -hmm. uh, some of which have never seen the light of day. Uh, I first started writing, uh, I wrote a novel called, well, actually I started a novel, did about half of it when I was 12, called By the Light of an Alien Sun, a science <laughs> fiction uh, book, which was actually read out. Uh, in it, there was a, a zero-gravity kissing scene between me and a very thinly disguised girl in my class that I liked. And <laughs> my English teacher was very excited that a 12-year-old was re writing a novel, so she read it out in the class. And uh, there was quite a bit of um, hysteria <laughs> on everybody's part when they got to the kissing scene in zero-gravity. <laughs> and, of course, the girl blushed quite fiercely, and the teacher complained 
that she was not sure if she could legally continue to read <laughs> read the book out to everyone. So um, yeah, I did that, and I wrote a bit in my in my uh, I wrote some short stories in my teens, uh, and then I went to the National Theatre School and I studied playwriting and mm. acting, and I wrote a lot of uh, plays. I produced one in Toronto, which was uh, an adaptation of Turgenev's Fathers and Sons called Seduction. And um, then I wrote a novel called Revolutions, uh, which uh, is actually available on my website at freedomainradio.com, and a novel called The God of Atheists, a comedy novel, uh, uh, really an expose of modern culture. And then I wrote a a long, which I've sort of got to go back and do one more revision of, um, uh, a novel uh, about a, a family, two families really, a German family and a British family between World War One and World War Two, uh, including both wars, which kind of comes from my own family background, which is English, Irish, and German, German. And uh, that's called Almost. And anyway, then it, I won't go into each book, but then I've written a bunch of philosophical books yeah. uh, that are available mostly for free. I mean, all of the electronic copies, the uh, EPUBs, the PDFs, the MP3s, and the HTML are all available for free at freedomainradio.com forward slash free. Mm-hmm. Books on ethics and, and atheism, agnosticism, politics, and all that kind of stuff. And my mm-hmm. writing is uh, I used to type. Uh, but that's hard. <laughs> Typing is hard. I uh, I dictate my books. I pace around uh, with a latte, and uh, I uh, have a wireless headphone set that is hooked up to Dragon, naturally speaking, which is the best one that I found for voice dictation. And I dictate uh, my books, and that is, I think, the most natural way. Because I've done so many podcasts now that my style of communication is more verbal, I think, than than typed. Yeah. So that's. Um, uh, so that's what I've been working on, uh, and that's very it's a very fast way to write a book. Now, whether speed equals quality, I will <laughs> I will leave that up to the readers. But that's my approach. Cool. Okay. And then, do you write any like periodical writing? Is it published often? No, not a lot. Uh, I have a, a blog at uh, freedomain.blogspot.com, which gets mm-hmm. a fair number of hits. For Freedom's Phoenix, which is uh, Ernie and Do- Ernest and Donna Hancock's um, uh, e-zine, libertarian e-zine. Uh, I've contributed a number of articles to that, but uh, no, no, I don't. I don't write for magazines. Uh, I don't write for, you know, the philosophical arguments, particularly ones that go counter to the generally accepted tenets of philosophy, which are almost always incorrect. It's really hard to compress an argument into a magazine length uh, if you're working from first principles uh, you know in order to get to the point you have to spend you know 20 pages defining your terms and establishing yeah. the arguments so it's not a particularly good format I think for uh, for magazines cool um, do you attend seminars or conferences how often well I do uh, I certainly do uh, I go to um, uh, some money conferences, uh, libertarian conferences. Uh, I usually go when I get a chance to speak, uh, speak at the conferences. So uh, I am at a bunch of conferences uh, this year. I'm going to be speaking uh, in June uh, at the Libertarian Convention in, in Dallas, Texas. And then I'm going to be um, speaking at the Porcupine Freedom Festival in New Hampshire. And then I'm running a a seminar with Doug Casey and Rick Rule uh, on capitalism and morality in Vancouver. I think that's July 28th. Uh, Libertopia, of course, uh, I'm the master of ceremonies there, uh, a Liberty Cruise. And I have uh, was down, did some work uh, last year with uh, Doug Casey's group, um, uh, When Money Dies, <laughs> an uplifting conference about the imminent demise of fiat currencies. So I do. And, and whenever I go to these uh, conferences, I try to catch as many other speakers as I can because I'm always very impressed by the mm-hmm. quality of libertarian speakers and uh, particularly the 
the economics and the politics that uh, come forward. So I try and catch mm -hmm. as many of those as I can. Do they do these conferences influence your ideas? Oh, hugely. Uh, you know, I find that what the conferences are great for. I would just sort of pick two out of uh, the top of my head. So last year at Libertopia. Uh, I gave uh, a speech and I stayed for a presenter who was talking about the role of what used to be called friendly societies, which was mm -hmm. uh, self-organizing charitable societies to help people ameliorate the random vicissitudes of a risky life. You know, so, you know, they'd all get together and pool to get health insurance, to pool to get uh, life insurance and so on. And it was a really powerful way for the poor to help each other and to make sure they didn't mm -hmm. get completely felled by some falling timber of bad circumstances or bad luck. And he had a great uh, present presentation about all of that. Uh, when I was at um, the Freedom Summit, uh, I spoke at the Freedom Summit in 2010, there mm -hmm. was a presenter there who I've actually been meaning to get on my show who talked about the similarities between the modern times and the ancient Roman Empire in terms of, you know, the, the, uh, the drive to empire and the destruction of the currency through mm -hmm. inflation. And so I find that there's an, in, a huge amount of empirical backing behind the theories that I sort of try to work with and talk about uh, at Freedom Aid Radio. So, yeah, without a doubt. I, I'm i trying to think if there's been – well, you know what? I think I think I will say that there's a group uh, that I'm uh, involved in uh, called uh, Psychohistory at psychohistory.com, which is sort of run mm -hmm. by Lloyd DeMoss. And they talk a lot about the degree to which society, culture, the state, war, peace, imprisonment, justice, the prison system, uh, the court system, how all of this is influenced in – pretty unconscious ways by early childhood experiences. And I actually first got introduced to that website from somebody who was in the Freedom Aid Radio chat room. I can't even remember when or why. It was a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. And he pointed out, uh, you know, some statistics about the treatment of children. And I was like, oh, that can't be right. And he's like, well, here's the source, psychohistory.com. And I went there and I was like, wow, this stuff is incredible. I never thought about it to this degree. And I uh, became the audiobook reader for Lloyd DeMoss's excellent work in progress called The Origins of War and Child Abuse. So stuff like that just blows my gourd mm -hmm. open. And I really do enjoy having my gourd regularly blown open by <laughs> new and uh, unexpected information. Yeah. Cool. Um... Next question is, how did your master's degree prepare you for your current work? Ah, oh, that's, that's a good question. Not to imply that the others haven't been, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, it's funny. I mean, a lot of things have come together for what it is I do now. I mean, the fact mm -hmm. that I took uh, acting and voice training, I think, helped quite a bit to deliver not too squeaky a set of <laughs> philosophical <laughs> diatribes. And um, But, yeah, my master's... Um, I mean, I had a, had a tough time uh, getting my master's done. I mean, the approach that I wanted to take was very meta, you know, very, very grandiose in scope. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do two major trends throughout the entire history of Western philosophy. And a lot of what people do in their master's or maybe even their PhD for that matter is they really focus in on very, very small areas. You become the eminent master of a tiny, dare I say, insignificant domain. And because I wanted to do a very big picture uh, thesis, then uh, mm -hmm. I had a tough time finding a, uh, a supervisor, and then that supervisor was quite excited by what I was doing, didn't know exactly what to make for it, make of it, and I ended up graduating uh, or getting my information about getting an A quite a bit later than, than everyone else. But certainly, um, you know, in, in college, um, the classes were good. I mean, there's a rigor that you get in college where you're expected to be skeptical, you're expected to cohesion uh, sort of cohesively and, and cogently build an argument and uh, you also do get a chance to make presentations 
uh, in mm. college. Uh, but I think really focusing on the big picture was very important to me. It also became evident to me that focusing on the big picture was not something that was very popular in mm. academia. See, if you if you focus on a, a tiny section of history, uh, you know, the, the history of this town in southern France for the 12 years from, you know, 1780 to 1792, you're not stepping on anyone else's toes and you're not going to upset anyone with contrary theories because mm. nobody really knows as much about that tiny subject as you do. And so you kind of split yourself into these little atoms that don't interact with each other. But if you do, you know, here's two major trends and opposing trends in Western philosophy. And you talk, I, I think I used four major philosophers from each camp, um, basically empiricists versus mystics. Then, you know, if you casually mention, say, Immanuel Kant for a few pages uh, and talk about how he fits into your larger thesis, then every Kantian scholar the world over has a pretty good opportunity to take a shark bite at your exposed dolphin belly, so to speak. So uh, there is a tendency towards micro and away from the macro, which I think is really tragic. I think that the purpose of intellectuals is to serve society as a whole by illuminating the trends that help avoid disasters in the future. And if you're totally micro in your approach, you don't do any of that. So I think there's kind of a defensiveness in academia that didn't fit too well with what I wanted to do. Interesting. Cool. Okay, so my last question is, how important is community networking to you and why? So community networking, do you mean, mm -hmm. I, I want to make sure that, so you're talking about sort of like um, the Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and that kind of stuff? Yes and no. I think, for the most part, my my teacher told us to ask these questions. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, she. I think she wants to know like how you interact with the public, basically, and I think a lot of that has to do with your podcasts. So. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, electronics is sort of a part of that. Uh, yeah. You know, I grew up in the business world, or I guess I I got my entrepreneurial chops sharpened in the business world, and in the business world, networking is pretty important. Mm -hmm. But I was always quite relieved that I didn't have to do very much of it because I was a tech guy and a sales guy, and so I didn't really have to do a whole lot of networking. It's not particularly enjoyable for me. It always feels a bit fake. That having been said, um, there's two ways that networking has been very important to me. If we just sort of take out the, you know, I've got 40,000 subscribers on YouTube and, you know, 10,000 members yeah. on the message board and that, that all helps to get new, new shows out. But I have, um, I've interviewed a lot of people uh, on my show and those interviews, I think, have really helped me. You know, you sort of leapfrog from one person to the next. Oh, I interviewed you. Do you know anyone who's good? And then you go and leapfrog mm -hmm. from one person to the next. I think that's really, really helped. Uh, and so because I've interviewed a lot of libertarians, when they hear about me, they've actually had an interaction with me and we've talked about a, mm -hmm. you know, an important topic to both of us. And I think that's really helped for sure. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that when I do go to speak at conferences, I do go and chat with other people who are there, whether it's presenters mm -hmm. or members of the audience. And I think that's really helped as well uh, because then people said, you know, it's always important to put a, a face to the digits, <laughs> to the binary mm -hmm. on the internet. So I think actually having handshake, flesh to flesh, exchange your germs kind of meetings with people has been really, uh, really helpful in terms yeah. of um, yeah. becoming a person rather than a persona, if that helps. Uh -huh. All right. Well, I think that's everything I need. Thank you so very much. You're very welcome. I'm glad it was helpful.